Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1, that will be our first reading this morning. If you want to, go ahead and place a marker there because we'll be spending most of our time this morning in the book of Proverbs. Certainly it's good to say one here. We have a good number with us even though we have several of our number who are away. As Brother Scott mentioned, we do have visitors and we're so grateful that you're here. Hope you'll come back any chance you have to come and worship with us. This morning, we're going to be starting a new series of lessons looking at lessons from Proverbs. In this first lesson, we're going to talk about an introduction to the book to help us lay the groundwork and the foundation to make sure that we're all on the same understanding and on the same level when we come to the book of Proverbs. One of the first questions I think we need to ask ourselves is, well, what exactly is a proverb? If you went to the dictionary and looked it up, the dictionary would define a proverb as a short, pithy saying in general use, stating a general truth or piece of advice. i got to be honest with you, when I read this, uh, this definition, and even when I went to an interlinear Bible that shows us the, the Hebrew, the original Hebrew word, and gives us the, the English definition, it's a very similar definition here. Uh, but i got to be honest, when I looked at this, I, I looked at this and said, what does pithy mean? You know, when's the last time in just everyday conversation you said, man, that was a, a pithy saying, or that was just very pithy? You know, what does that mean? So I looked that up, and the definition of pithy is a concise or forcibly ex, uh, expressive. What we're talking about here when we think about Proverbs, it's a short saying, very straight to the point, very straightforward, uh, that gives us a good piece of advice or gives us a general piece of understanding. You know, I kind of can contrast this to a parable, right? Whereas a proverb is very short, it's very straightforward, a parable is a little bit different. Parables are generally longer, and parables generally require people to have to think about what the meaning is, right? In fact, Jesus himself tells us that one of the reasons he teaches in parables is that so some people won't understand what the meaning is. You know, we can easily understand what the parable is saying, but the deeper spiritual meaning sometimes can be harder to understand. That's why even his disciples have to come to him sometimes and, you know, what did that parable mean? Proverbs are different. Proverbs are, Proverbs are very short, and there's not a lot of leeway into interpreting what a proverb means. It's very simple, straightforward. You understand what it means. Another great way to uh, define a word is just think about some of the proverbs that we use just in everyday language. We have so many proverbs that we use, so many of these little sayings, even outside of the book of Proverbs. Think of things like, the early bird gets the worm. That's a proverb. How many times have you been told, the early bird gets the worm? We know what that means. You need to be, get up early. You need to be productive. Because those who get up early, those who are more productive, they're the ones who are usually more successful, right? The early bird gets the worm. What about this one? Actions speak louder than words. Once again, very short, very straightforward, easy to understand. We make this point so many times, right? It's so easy to say something, but how we act, what we do, that says more than, than words ever will. I'll give you one more, and, and we could go through so many of these, but I'll give you one more that I always like. You know, have you ever heard, well, it, it's better to be safe than to be sorry. 
you know, once again, a, a very common phrase, one that I'm sure you've heard, especially as parents, we like to, to use these little sayings. And sometimes we use them so much that have you ever had somebody roll your eyes and just be like, yes, we've heard this before. Yes, we know this. Yes, we know what you're going to say. Well, that's what a proverb is. And sometimes I'm afraid that when we look at Proverbs, sometimes we can read these so many times, and yes, we know what they say, and sometimes we can have that same reaction, that eye roll, that, oh, yes, I know what it says, yes, I know what this means. Well, as we're going to see, it's a little bit harder when it comes to actually putting it into practice. So now that we know what a proverb is, let's ask ourselves, well, well who wrote Proverbs? And like I said, I know this is a very simple introduction. I know you probably already know these things, but once again, it helps to lay that groundwork, to lay that foundation. <clears throat> Excuse me. In Proverbs 1 and verse 1, it simply says, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. The majority of Proverbs is attributed to Solomon. In fact, we look at other passages. We're not going to turn there right this second. We'll look at this passage a little bit later on in the sermon. But in 1 Kings 4 and verse 32, the Bible tells us that Solomon wrote over 3,000 Proverbs. So this is just a small sampling of what we have that Solomon said, some of the wisdom that he gave to us. So the majority of the book was written by Solomon. Uh, there's also two other authors that are named in the book. And there's probably also some of these Proverbs that are not attributed to people. But Solomon wrote the majority of them. Well, the next person we read about is Agur, the son of Jacob, in Proverbs 30 and verse 1. Now, who is Agur? Well, that's a good question, because no one knows. This is the only time in the Bible that this man is referenced, Agur, the son of Jacob. And so no one knows for sure who that is. But when you read Proverbs chapter 30, the whole point of, the, of that chapter is looking at how small man is compared to God. So we see that wisdom there. Don't know who it is, but, but he had that wisdom, that understanding to know how he compared to God. Well, the third and final author that is named in the book of Proverbs is Lemuel, and, the, and he writes down the words of his mother. Well, just like Agur, who is Lemuel? We don't know. Once again, this is the only reference that we find in the Bible of a king named Lemuel. But there are three prevailing theories that a lot of scholars will, will put forward as to who Lemuel is. And just to, for information, one of the first ones that people will say is, well, this is Solomon. This is something like a pen name that he would use. Some people would say that if it's Solomon, that means Bash, his mother is Bathsheba. So these would have been her words. Some will say, well, that may have been a name that Bathsheba called him. So no, she didn't call him Solomon all the time. You know, we see that a lot through the Old Testament, how they would have one name, also this name. It could be that. Others will suggest that it could be Hezekiah. When you read, I believe it's from Proverbs 25 and verse 1, it talks about during the days of Hezekiah, a lot of the scholars started writing down the sayings of Solomon. And so maybe Hezekiah wanted to write down some of his sayings as well. Uh, that's very uh, plausible. It could have been Hezekiah. Uh, the third and final theory that people put forth is that, well, there really wasn't a person by this name. It's fictional. Solomon makes up this name and makes up this mother to be kind of the ideal king, the ideal mother. And, and the reason people think that is because when you read Proverbs 31, it lends itself to the idea that you're looking for the perfect, the ideal. Because remember, in 31 is where we see the virtuous wife, right? 
it lays forth all these attributes of what a virtuous wife would be. So maybe this is just kind of the ideal scenario. You know, I hate to say it doesn't matter, but it really doesn't matter who Lemuel is. And the only reason I bring this up is because I thought it was interesting. So these are three theories as to who Lemuel is. So Solomon writes the majority of the book. Agur, don't know who he is, but he writes about how great God is. And then Lemuel, don't know who he is, but he talks about how finding a, the relationships in life, how important that is, and how it can help us through life. You know, whenever somebody starts spouting off these what we call words of wisdom, right? Whenever someone, especially like a parent or someone at work, starts giving us advice, you know, one of the first things I think that we ask ourselves is, well, why should we listen to you? You know, what qualifies you to be able to give me advice? Uh, and there are other, lots of things that you could go into. You know, I think from parents' perspective, we like to talk about, well, we've been in your shoes before. You know, as you get older, you've had more life experiences, so you can help give advice. You know, think about at work, you know, you talk to people, why should I listen to you? What are your credentials for this? Well, they might have went to school for that particular field. They might be a recognized subject matter expert. But we like to know why we should listen to people, right? You know, what qualifies you to give me advice? And so I think a question we can ask ourselves, uh, what qualifies Solomon to give this advice? You know, why should we listen to Solomon? Since he wrote the majority of these, uh, what makes him be able to give all of this great advice that we see in the book of Proverbs? Well, keep a marker here, and let's go back to 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. We're not going to take the time to read this entire story. This is probably something that you're very familiar with. Here in the story, if you'll recall, this is where God appears to Solomon in a dream. And God asks Solomon, what, what is it that he wants? You know, he could ask anything that he could, he could want. And you think about what you would ask for. You know, he could have asked for money, wealth, fame, you know, all these things, you know, that a king, you know, the, the, his enemies to be destroyed before him. Well, look in verse 9, and this is what Solomon asked for. In verse 9, this is Solomon talking to God. He says, Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Solomon asked for wisdom. Well, let's keep reading in verses 10 through 14, and we're going to see God's reaction to Solomon's request. In verse 10, it says, The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, Because you have asked this thing and have not asked long life for yourself, nor have asked for riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice, behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has not been anyone like you before, nor shall any like you arise after you. And I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. So if you walk in my ways, to keep my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days." God is well pleased with Solomon. He likes the fact that he didn't ask for all these accolades for himself. He wants wisdom. And so God says, I'm going to give you wisdom. And I'm going to give you all these other things. But there was that condition, right? 
Walk like David did. A man after God's own heart. If you'll do that, then God will grant you all of these other things. We're not going to take the time to read the next section. This is the story about Solomon's wisdom, how he's able to discern whose child is, uh, really belongs to, which woman the child belongs to. Remember, this is a story where he says, bring a sword, he's going to cut the child in two. One woman said, yeah, that's fine, do it. Another one said, no, just let her have it. And because of that, Solomon had the wisdom to know that was the true mother. So Solomon's wisdom, it goes out and people recognize his wisdom. Well, let's go to chapter 4 now. In chapter 4, we see some of the, the tellings of how Solomon was going to rule the people. He set governors over everybody. He was very wise in his dealings with the people. We'll drop down to verse 29. It says, And God gave Solomon wisdom. An exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart like, like the sand of the seashore. Thus Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all men, than Ethan the Ezrahite, and Heman, Chalco, and Darda, the sons of Mahal, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. And he also he spoke of trees from the cedar tree of Lebanon, even to the hyssop that springs out of the wall. He spoke also of animals and of birds, of creeping things and of fish, and men of all nations from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. If you ask yourself, why should I listen to Solomon? The Bible tells us Solomon had wisdom. He had wisdom from God. And so that's why we should listen to Solomon. It's interesting when you start talking and you start reading some of the, the ways people try to attack the Bible. You know, one of the things that people will often talk about is, well, you know, Solomon, yeah, he was a king, but there's no way he was able to accomplish the things that the Bible says. You know, there's no way that silver was just counted as a common thing. There's no way that the kingdom of Israel was that large. And there's no way that this person was this wise back in this time period. What does the Bible say about that? You know, we just read about how his wisdom, the, his fame spread across the entire world during that time. But one story in particular I want to go to, go over a couple of chapters to chapter 10. In 1 Kings chapter 10, we see the Queen of Sheba wants to find out about Solomon. She's heard about his wisdom and she wants to see it firsthand. So let's just read a few verses here. Notice in verse 1. Now it says, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. Drop down to verse 3. So Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing so difficult for the king that he could not explain it to her. Drop down to verse 6 and 7. Then she said to the king, It was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe the words until I came and saw with my own eyes, and indeed the half was not told to me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame of which I heard. Here we see a story where this queen comes and she is just in awe of Solomon's wisdom. Now why would I point out this particular story? Well, because Jesus references this in Matthew chapter 12, right? When he's talking about all these cities who have rejected him, he talks about how the queen of the south will rise up and condemn them. And he says, one who is wiser than Solomon is here with you. 
If we ever question whether or not the validity of who Solomon was, what he was able to accomplish, how, how wise he was, understand that Jesus talks about Solomon, that he was wealthy, that he was wise. So if we ever wonder, is it really true about Solomon? Jesus says, yes, it is true. Jesus attests to the fact that Solomon is wise. Yes, Jesus is wiser than Solomon. But as far as just mere men go, Solomon was one of the wisest to ever live on this earth. So why should we listen to Solomon? Because God says he has God-given wisdom. And we should listen to him. For the rest of our time this morning, I want to talk about kind of the writing style and some of the themes that we see in the book of Proverbs. And just a little preview, there are five themes that I'm going to talk about this morning. Those are going to be the five lessons in this series. And I'll be honest, Proverbs is one of those books that you could spend months and months looking at. But I've chose five themes that I think are, in my mind, the main themes of the book. If you have additional ones, let me know. I'll be happy to preach on those as well. But there are five that I chose. But anyway, getting to the, to the writing style of the book. The style is written as a father to a son, right? How many times throughout the book do you read, my son, hear the instruction. My son, listen to this. It's in the sense of someone with authority talking to someone who is under them. A parent talking to a child. A boss talking to his employee. Someone who is older and wiser talking to someone who is younger. That is the writing style of Proverbs. As a father talking to a son. Another big thing about Proverbs that we have to remember, Proverbs is a book of generalities. Meaning, generally speaking, these are the things that are going to happen. It's not a guarantee. There are lots of passages that we could look at in Proverbs to prove this point, but the one that I want to look at is in Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22 and verse 6, a very familiar passage. The wise man simply says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, does that mean that as long as you teach a child truth, that there's no way that they can ever go astray? Well, of course not. I know of instances, and I'm sure you do as well, how a child had great parents. Parents who taught them the truth, taught them the Bible, taught them scripture, and yet what did they do with it? They squandered it. They fell away. This is not a guarantee. And, of course, the reverse is true also, is it not? I know of people who their parents didn't ever care about the Bible, never tried to teach them the Bible, yet they found truth. And so because of that, they had this wisdom and they were able to come to the truth. They came to God. It, it, it's not a guarantee. But generally speaking, if you train a child, if you teach them truth, then more than likely it will, it will help stack the deck in their favor, not against them. They will have more opportunities and they will be better off in the long run knowing the truth. As we mentioned before, Proverbs is an easy book to read. And it's an easy book to understand. There's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. Most months have 31 days, right? I'm a big proponent. Next month, read a chapter of Proverbs a day. Just read a chapter. Chapters aren't that long, maybe about 20, 25 verses. It doesn't take a long time to read Proverbs. It's not hard to understand what the wise man is saying. Where the difficulty comes in is in actually applying it. But can't that be said of like most of the Bible? 
We can understand what God says. We can understand what he's telling us. But when it comes to actually making change in our lives, applying the things that we see in the book, well, that's where it can become a little bit more difficult. So I fully believe Proverbs is not a hard book to read. It's not a hard book to understand. But it can be a hard book to actually put into practice. As I said, there are five themes, five main themes that I think I see in the book of Proverbs. How could we not start off with wisdom, right? In Proverbs chapter 1, we already read verse 1. Look at verse 2. He says, To know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding. One of the main themes of Proverbs is wisdom, and that's going to be our first lesson, Lord willing, next week. Looking at finding wisdom. What does wisdom do? Where can we find it? That's going to be a preview for next week. Right along with that, look at verse 7. He says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. How many times in the book of Proverbs do we see this idea of knowledge and instruction? See, knowledge is to know something. Instruction is to actually put it into practice. We're going to look at that, and that's a main theme of Proverbs. It's great if you know what to do, but actually doing it. Remember the proverb we talked about at the beginning of the sermon? Actions speak louder than words. Are we actually putting into practice what we see in this book? Over in Proverbs chapter 23, and in verse 23, the wise man says, Buy the truth and do not sell it. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. If you see how all these tie together, (laughs) that's not by accident. Wisdom knowledge, instruction, and truth. Well, Proverbs is not all about just finding things and doing things. Proverbs is full of things to avoid as well. Look in Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 6. Proverbs 9 and verse 6. The wise man says, Forsake foolishness and live, and go in the way of understanding. We need to avoid foolishness, avoid follies. We'll talk about some of the follies that we see in the book of Proverbs. The immoral woman, wine, all of these things we'll see in this book. How their foolishness, their folly. And then finally, the last theme that I think we see in this book, trusting in God. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, the wise man says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Do we trust God? No matter what we face, no matter what circumstances we find in our life, do we trust God? Of all the Proverbs, this is one I think that we need the most. Trust God. Don't lean on your own understanding. Lean on him. Trust Him and trust His plans. Those are the five that I've picked out. If you have more, if you have something else that you would like to see up here, then let me know and I'll be happy to add to this. But these are the five that we're going to start with, looking at the main themes of the book of Proverbs. Take your psalm books out and turn the number that Brother Chet selected. Proverbs is one of those books that 
you know, Chet and I were talking this morning. It's interesting as you're trying to find songs. There's not a lot of songs written about Proverbs. You know, how many times have we heard lessons? Yes, we'll reference Proverbs, but how many times have you seen lessons that just stick strictly in the book of Proverbs? Going back, I don't have one, so I think that's kind of interesting. You know, do we spend enough time here? In Proverbs 3 and verse 7, the wise man says that we should not be wise in our own eyes, but fear the Lord and depart from evil. When we think about wisdom, are we wise in our own eyes or do we truly rely upon the wisdom of God? How many times have we thought that we could do things better? Twice in the book of Proverbs, in chapter 14, verse 12, and also in chapter 16, verse 25, the wise man talks about how there's a way that seems right to a man, but its path leads to destruction. You know, how many times has man messed things up? You know, just go back to the book of Genesis, right? In creation, how did God describe his creation in chapter 1? It was good. It was very good. Eden was paradise, right? Well, who messed that up? You could argue with Satan, and yes, you're right. But man's the one who messed that up. Even though it may not make sense to us, even though we may think we know better, are we willing to do things God's way? And that's what we're going to see in the book of Proverbs as well. God's ways are always best. He knows better. It's interesting when you think about wisdom. In James chapter 3 and verse 17, James talks about the wisdom from above. He says the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable. You make this point all the time. Are we keeping God's wisdom in its entirety? So many in the religious world like to pick and choose the wisdom that they want to follow. Are we looking at the whole counsel of God? Are we looking at it in its entirety and understanding what God wants us to do? And are we following it wholly? That's going to be a question we're going to ask ourselves in this series of lessons. We need to ask ourselves, are we wise or are we foolish? Are we wise or are we foolish? We're going to read about how the fool says in his heart that there is no God. The wise and the prudent, they accept the chastening. They accept the chastisement of God. They accept the correction of him. So we're going to ask ourselves, are we wise or are we foolish? This morning in this series of lessons is not going to talk about how to become Christian. But I hope we see the principles there, right? Doing it God's way, trusting His way, no matter what anybody else says. Going to the Bible. And when we go to the Bible, how do we find to become a Christian? Mark 16, 16. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who does not believe shall be condemned. Acts 2.38 talks about repent and let every one of you be baptized for the remission of sins. Acts 22.16, arise and uh, be baptized, calling, washing away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Galatians, uh, Galatians 3.26.27, Romans 6 verses 4 and 5. Uh, we could go on and on, right? Are we willing to do things God's way entirely and completely? That's what separates the wise and the foolish. This morning, if you're here and you've never been obedient to the words of God, you've never been buried in the waters of baptism, then, then we would love to study with you. We'd love to help you any way that we can. We'll pray for you and we'll do everything that we can to come to the knowledge of truth. This morning, if you're here and, and you are a Christian, 
And there are things in your life that are separating you from God. There are things that have sep- you have not been wise in, in decisions and in, in the choices that you've made. It's not too late. There's always opportunities to make your life right. That's what this invitation is about. An invitation that if you're here this morning and you need help, we talked about in our Bible class this morning, if, you, if you're falling into temptation, falling into sin, let us help you. We're here for one another. We want to help because we all want to get to heaven. So this morning, if there's anyone subject to the invitation, will you let us know as we stand and as we sing this song? Uh-huh.